Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Potions Master. Right, so I will start us off with a quick recap of the chapter. So first, we get a brief look into Harry's first couple of days at Hogwarts. He finds it difficult to navigate his way around the school, first of all socially, because people keep whispering about him behind their backs um, because of his fame, and also physically because of things like moving staircases and locked doors and secret passageways um, that are unlike anything he's ever experienced before. Um, And so he's often sort of late to class and um, not finding his way around correctly. He is relieved, though, that he's not as behind as he thought he would be in classes. Um, We get introduced to lots of new um, professors and other Hogwarts characters. Um, We get introduced to Argus Filch, the caretaker, Mrs. Norris, his cat, um, both of whom are hated by most of the populace of the school. Um, Then we get the professors, McGonagall, Sprout, Flitwick, and Binns, who is a ghost who teaches history of magic. Um, Harry then goes to potions class. Um, and he's bullied by the teacher of that class, Professor Snape. He then goes with Ron to Hagrid's hut for some tea, uh, where they talk about Harry's first couple of days, and he gets more questions than answers about what's going on at Hogwarts. So we're first going to delve into Professor Snape, the character of Professor Snape, and his relationship with Harry. And right, how- because this is the potions master chapter. The potions master, yes. So um, this is the bulk of the chapter, and so we first get introduced to Snape's character, although we've seen him before, and we get a very creepy and kind of powerful feeling from him. Um, I think this quote, which is Snape speaking, kind of represents um, him and a lot of things about the character. He says, I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins, bewitching the mind, ensnaring the senses. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even stop or death. So what do the elements of this quote make you think of, David? Well, there's definitely a lot of foreshadowing in this passage, um, a lot of which I hadn't noticed before this read-through. There's definitely allusions to a lot of specific potions that we learn about either um, pretty soon or later on in the series. In the original British edit of this book, um, the phrase bottle fame, brew glory, and even stopper death actually reads bottle fame, brew fortune, um, and even stopper death, um, which refer- the fortune thing could refer there to Felix Felicis, which we are introduced to in Half-Blood Prince. Mm-hmm. Several other potions are also looked into more in depth in that book. Um, the stopper death potion could refer to an unspecified potion that Snape uses to save Dumbledore after um, Dumbledore's arm becomes um, blackened from the curse of Marvel Logant's ring um, when he put it on at the beginning of the events of the sixth book. Which, which he claims would kill him. Right. I mean, eventually the curse would have killed mm-hmm. him anyway, but the potion basically put a stopper in that. And then other foreshadowing moments, um, he mentions later on in this chapter um, when he's questioning Harry about potion making, he refers to the draught of living death, um, which is brewed in Half-Blood Prince by the class and also is referred to by Dumbledore um, more towards the end of the book when he says to Malfoy, you know, we can take your family into hiding, we can make it look like you're all dead. 
Um, that's a reference to the, the this potion that makes people look like they're dead because it's such a powerful sleeping potion. Um, there's also the bourgeois, um, which is a stone taken from the stomach of a goat. Snape says that will save you from most poisons. It's referred to in Goblet of Fire, and it comes up big for Harry in Half-Blood Prince when he uses it to save Ron's life. And this is from him remembering this instance. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's actually kind of helpful that Snape was using this to taunt him. Yeah, I mean, Snape's basically bullying him here, but Harry clearly remembers this moment so clearly in in the future, even five years later, that um, he remembers clear as day. Like, I can, I can use a bourgeois to save Ron's life. And actually, I mean, it comes up earlier in Half-Blood Prince, um, that Slughorn uh, asks them to make an antidote for a, a bunch of poisons, and Harry can't come up with anything, so he just uses a bourgeois, mm-hmm. um, which he remembered um, because Snape had told him about it on this first day of potions. So yeah, that I mean, there's tons of foreshadowing there, all apparently to Half-Blood Prince, so we're not going to get to it for a while, but um, it's there nonetheless, and I hadn't noticed it before this read-through. Yeah, and I think this quote and potions class in general is just a really good metaphor for the kind of person that Snape is. And it's a really perfect um, class for him to teach because it's a very kind of secretive magical art that really needs patience. Um, It's a lot of one thing pretending to be another, such as like Polyjuice Potion, Draw to Living Death, those types of things. And Snape is someone who is being a double spy, so we kind of know Right, that- he's a double agent for Voldemort later on in the series, pretending to be an agent for Voldemort, but he really is an agent for Dumbledore. Right, and at this point, we don't, we barely know anything about him, but as the series goes on, we just, um, more and more is revealed, but until his death, really, um, Snape's full character is not coming to light, so I think that just kind of goes really well metaphorically with the idea of potions, which is interesting because we know that Snape really wants to be teaching defense against the dark arts, which is similar in a lot of ways to these qualities. But I do think that potions specifically in the kind of um, slimy, secretive way, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of sinister. Things happen. You know, yeah. You think of like poisons and, you know, slimy, bubbling concoctions and like the Macbeth witches, you think of bubble bubble toil and trouble you know that kind of thing it's like it's like dark and evil-ish and snape definitely does seem dark and evil when you first look at him but like a lot of the potions that come up in the harry potter series there's something else underneath the surface that hints at its true nature so here in this scene we see um a lot of evidence that snape does in fact favor slytherin house um and especially draco malfoy quite a bit But I was having trouble sort of thinking of why that would be, besides the fact that Snape probably knows Lucius Malfoy from when they were both Death Eaters. um, I can't think of why he would want to be a a mentor or a father figure for Malfoy at all. And included in that is the fact that Severus and Lucius probably don't like each other very much. They seem like they're totally at odds in terms of philosophy and, and outlook on how things are supposed to be. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, even though I know that um, Snape and Malfoy um, become sort of close later in their plot to kill Dumbledore and all that. It just doesn't really seem like Snape would like Malfoy um, because he doesn't really like this whole, um, you know, pure blood, Death Eater type thing, even though he was one. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. He he's just, a complicated character. He doesn't, I mean, Snape doesn't seem the type to be drawn to the pure-blood elitism at this point in his life, and certainly not the classist brand of pure-blood elitism that Malfoy exhibits. Um, I just can't... I, I don't know why. I just can't see him wanting to be into that like relationship. I guess my answer for it would be... In a way, one, to keep up appearances and also because he's gotten used to keeping up appearances and acting this way for so long. So he's the head of Slytherin House. He should be favoring Slytherin and disliking Gryffindor. Um, Yeah, but I get the sense that he really enjoys it. And then in this particular case, like, he really does enjoy Malfoy as a student and as a person. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think it goes along with another question we had while reading, which was, why does he immediately dislike Hermione? Um, and why does he... Yeah, and by extension, to, all of Gryffindor yeah. House. Um, and my answer for that um, is sort of related to um, how he feels about Harry, which is just a kind of disgust for Harry at this point. This is his first opportunity that he's had to really really interact with Harry and he has all this hatred towards him because he looks so much like James. Um, Right, and they had that rivalry in school. So I think that just the whole idea of, by extension, Hermione, by extension, Gryffindor, he's just kind of anti everything that's related to Harry. um, And he is also so focused on Harry, I think, that he, I don't even know if he dislikes Hermione, he just doesn't have time for her and he's annoyed by her because Mm. he doesn't want to have the right answers right now he doesn't want to have a class that's actually working hard he just wants to use all his energies to kind of abuse harry at this point there's i think i think um i think you're probably mostly right but i do think that he does have a special dislike of hermione and i think there's a, a number of possible explanations for that i think the first and simplest is that he just is annoyed by know it alls in general um, that's a perfectly acceptable reason. Uh, I think that it's true. If you're an 11 year old and you pretend that you know everything, that can be annoying for sure. Uh, I know I was like that when I was 11. So um, I can definitely understand being annoyed by that type of person. I think there's also a deeper possibility, which um, some readers have theorized about, which is that Hermione might remind Snape of Lily. Mm-hmm. When she was starting at school, she was, she, was very, so smart. she was very precocious. We've been told over and over she was very gifted at potions and charms. Um, Slughorn in particular goes on and on about how gifted Lily was at potions. And Snape here might be thinking that, you know, Hermione believes herself to be so smart and clever, but maybe in Snape's eyes, she can never measure up to Lily. And so he sort of in his head puts her down because she's not Lily Mm-hmm. Even though they're both Muggleborns and very precocious, Snape compares the two in his head, and Hermione comes out underneath where he has idealized Lily to the point where she's way above everybody else. Yeah, I think there's a lot of feelings going on in Snape right yeah. now, and he's he's clearly a very very um, complex character. But um, we don't know much about him as readers at this point. But I think in hindsight, looking back, we can sort of imagine the kind of inner turmoil he's going through right now with this new batch of students coming into Hogwarts and with Mm -hmm. Harry being there. Um, But let's go back to how he treats Harry. So he very clearly is bullying Harry in this chapter. And when we're reading this book for the first time, we have no idea why that is. The reader might think that it's because Harry's famous and maybe Snape dislikes um, the idea that someone would come into school already being famous as a celebrity and maybe he wants to just put him down a peg or two. 
Um, but once Harry goes to tea at Hagrid's and he asks Hagrid, you know, but Snape really seemed to hate me in particular. And I, I don't know why I haven't done anything to him. Hagrid says, oh, well, nonsense. Why should he? But he doesn't really meet Harry's eyes. And Harry thinks, hmm, he's not really being entirely truthful with me. Um, and of course we know having read the whole series now that, um, it's really about Snape's, um, rivalry with James, uh, Potter, who Harry looks just like, and, and Snape, uh, after and during this scene believes that Harry acts just like James as well, you know, cocky, arrogant, full of himself, um, you know, full of self-confidence. In reality, Snape is probably projecting a lot of these traits onto Harry because Harry doesn't feel that he is those any of those things. And we don't get the sense that he is any of those things from his, you know, first person sort of viewpoint. But um, but Snape still feels that way, that he is just like his father. And so he hates him for that. Right. So we know that that's why the, where the hatred comes from. But what I think is almost more interesting is what does Hagrid know? Like, what is Harry picking up on that um, Hagrid is sort of feeling uneasy about? What does he think that he knows about Snape that would make him hate mm-hmm. Harry? And I wonder if it is this, you know, does he know about the rivalry? I I don't think there's any way he would know about Lily. Um, no, definitely not. Does he know about Snape's... Um, I assume he would know that Snape had been a Death Eater. Had been a Death Eater, so that could be it. Or could does he even know that Snape told Voldemort about um, the prophecy? The I don't prophecy. think so. I think only Dumbledore really knows. So about So there's that. a right. I don't think that Hagrid knows a lot, but there it's kind of interesting because we don't ever really know exactly what Hagrid's thinking. It's probably just because of the kind of Death Eater status that he does know about. Yeah, I mean the clue that Dumbledore gives us at the end of this book is. Um, that uh, Snape doesn't like him because he didn't like Harry's father. Mm-hmm. That's what Dumbledore tells him. And really, it's much more complicated than that, obviously. But I think if we're supposed to take this book as being a vacuumed, like everything is self-contained in this book, then that would be what Hagrid's thinking of. Mm-hmm. It would be that, oh, you know, he, he just he's prejudiced against you because you look just like James and he didn't like James. But he may also have been thinking of, you know, his Death Eater status, but we can never be sure. So now that we've covered um, Snape's lesson pretty well, let's steer the discussion over to um, sort of the greater story arc of the novel, um, which is uh, having to do with Professor Quirrell and um, the mystery surrounding the Philosopher's Stone. So when they're at Hagrid's hut, um, Harry sees a newspaper clipping about uh, the attempted robbery at Gringotts that he and Ron had talked about on the train. Um, the, the article says that nothing had been taken, and the vault... Um, that they were trying to rob had in fact been emptied earlier that day and the date that they list was july 31st so harry realizes that's the same day that he and hagrid were at gringotts and he starts to figure out that maybe the vault in question was vault 713 the vault that he and hagrid visited on hogwarts business and that hagrid had emptied by removing that grubby little package um, and hagrid is acting really shady about it when harry asks him about these sorts of things And so Harry starts to think that maybe that is um, the case, that whatever the person was trying to steal was in that grubby little package. So we as readers know, um, having finished the series, that this is Quirrell attempting to steal the Philosopher's Stone from this vault that was what was in the grubby little package. Right. Um, But we do actually see Quirrell a little bit in this chapter. And um, when we do see him, it's when Quirrell, quote, saves Harry and Ron from 
Filch's rage when Filch thinks they're attempting to break into the third floor corridor. Right, um, which was declared out of bounds by Domodoro at the feast earlier. Right. So um, we, Harry and Mon are just lost um, trying to find class or something. They're not trying to break in anywhere. They just um, thought that, that was the door they were supposed to get into. Um, so Quirrell sort of comes by and shoes Filch away and tells them it's fine and so they're not in trouble. Um, which I thought was interesting kind of in hindsight um, to think about why he exactly does this. Does he just not want um, attention drawn to them? Does he want to make sure that they're okay because he needs them? Um, or does he want to deflect attention away from the quarter him- itself? Um, yeah, I think it's that. I mean, I, I think so So pretty clearly like Quirrell is either here by coincidence or he's trying to scout out the defenses um, to try to break in himself. Uh, and I think my theory on this personally is that Quirrell doesn't want it to get out that Harry Potter had been trying to break in because Harry is so famous even already around the school. And, uh, you know, a first year trying to break in um, might inspire a lot of copycats to do the same. Um, and Quirrell really doesn't want a lot of attention around the corridor. He wants really just to everyone to forget about it so that he can focus on breaking in himself. So and I just, think that's why. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And just to be clear that the reason why this corridor is blocked off is because this is where the Philosopher's Stone is being hidden. Well, yeah, underneath, uh, you know, um, a mile a maze of, of yeah, obstacles, including uh, Fluffy, the three-headed dog. Uh, yeah, lots of things that we will meet later on, um, but this is just, this is already there and already set up, and so it's forbidden. And Yeah, and this is the first time that we, the reader, um, can associate Quirrell with the Out of Bounds Corridor, and even though it's an innocuous circumstance, um, this is another point of foreshadowing where the author is saying, uh, you know, hinting at, um, you know, this character and this location are, are correlated. This is not an accident. This is intentional. Mm-hmm. The other time Quirrell is mentioned in this chapter is um, when Harry's briefly going through all his classes, um, mentioning a couple things about them. And he mentions that um, questions are kind of already arising about Quirrell's turban. Um, right, which is a new acquisition, as we've already said. Right. So um, he explains it to the students by saying he got it after fighting a zombie in Africa. It was given to him as a gift. Um, but he seems kind of nervous and not like he quite believes it himself. So everyone's a little suspicious. And they also say that it smells funny. Right. And and people say that they don't believe the story because when they asked him how he defeated the zombie, he started stuttering and mumbling about something incoherent. Mm-hmm. So. They're like, hmm, that doesn't really add up. So I don't think anyone's really suspicious about something sinister going on, but they do think he's pretty weird and maybe kind of smells funny. And um, um, it's kind of a joke. You know, he's kind of being played off as a joke, like this kind of bumbling, weird idiot um, that's kind of distracting the reader from the fact that this is actually the most important character in the book who's hiding some he's the primary antagonist really I right mean, besides voldemort but... i mean but he is voldemort essentially at this point yeah and... he's a vessel for voldemort yeah so... no but it's um it's it's funny because they they play off so many different things about him as being sort of comical you know they say that the garlic smell that's all around his classroom is because he's terrified of vampires mm-hmm. you know they uh, they make fun of his turban they make fun of the way he talks and acts everything like that and all of this is done and Quirrell will even reveal this himself at the end of the book to distract the students and the reader from 
all of the associations that he has with these seeming coincidences, these sort of suspicious activities, um, because if you can distract people from that, then you won't associate him with those things, and then you won't be suspicious of him. Um, so it's just all an elaborate distraction by the author and by the character to get people to look the other way while he is trying to steal the central MacGuffin of the story. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Potions Master. We hope you think we've mastered this chapter, and stay tuned for next time when we explore Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.